You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back, everyone, to Arsenal Pass, episode 24. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by calling champion Hayden Dale. Hayden, how are you doing? Do you know what, Brendan? I'm pretty good. Uh, this is our, our third time doing the intro because I missed it up a few times, so apologies. But you know what? It's been a it's been a crazy couple of weeks of flesh and blood. There's been a, a range of emotions, but today I'm feeling optimistic and uh, pretty upbeat. How are you, Brendan? Yeah, I'm just hoping we get another phone alarm or maybe like a cheeky <laughs> fart come in here or something like that. Something to make us restart. But anyway, um, with pre-release weekend over, we're going to be doing a first impression on Tales of Aria Limited. Uh, we'll be talking about our general takeaways from the format, ins and out of ins and outs of each hero including their power levels and revisiting cards that either overperformed or underperformed from our initial grades on the limited review podcast we'll also be joined by recent calling champion tyler horsepool to talk about his recent <laughs> sorry i said his name so weirdly it's tyler horsepool we're going to be talking about his recent win and his thoughts on the limited format anyway hayden let's talk about your week in flesh and blood yeah it sounded like viewers in anchorman when they put the question mark on the teleprompter <laughs> Yeah, Tyler's, Tyler's going to be joining us for the limited portion and our breakdown of, you know, first impressions on the set and um, how we found the pre-release. That's uh, later in the show. But yeah, of course, first of all, what have we been playing? Well, pre-release, Brian. I've been playing some pre-releases this past weekend. Um, I think I played three in total, all at-home pre-releases, but still great to, to play some games with uh, my local stores, of course, over Discord. And then um, just getting some games. We've been playing some sealed games a little bit, getting used to the format. Uh, just trying to, I guess, evaluate where our initial grades were, evaluate some of the heroes, some of the uh, archetypes within sealed, and how we want to go about building certain sealed decks, and just looking at the pools. So, yeah, no, it's been um, a lot of limited, which is a breath of fresh air. I think from classic constructed, I'm a huge limited fan, so it's um, it's great to get back to to my roots, so to speak. But Brendan, you've had a, a massive, I guess, week and a half, and we didn't talk about Vegas last week. So let's uh, why don't you recap your last two weeks in Flesh and Blood for us? Yeah, absolutely. I hate to ruin the immersion um, of all of our role-playing listeners, but I was muted there because I was laughing very hard, Hayden. That Anchorman scene, is uh, it's got a special place in my heart. Uh, but yeah, anyway, um, came back from Vegas. We talked about this. You know, kind of really did the deep breathe on this in our previous episode in Time of the Round. Uh, but it was a great experience. Like, I mean, you hear people, everybody kind of says this, like, it was... I mean, it's definitely going to be one of the most historic events in Flesh and Blood history, and just the opportunity to be there was incredible. Everybody's attitude was incredible. Um, and even throughout the main event, you kind of notice that where while there was a lot on the line during the main event, everybody was very happy to be there, and it was actually kind of felt casual sometimes in the sense like, I don't know, everybody was in a good mood, right? Um, but yeah, it was, it, was very, it was very awesome, and I just it's actually hard to put it into words, but I very much appreciate to anybody who came up to me and said hi. Um, it means a lot. And some of the things that were said to me were very, very nice, and um, I really appreciate that. But let's talk about results. So uh, we got to play the Wheel Premiere on Friday. I went 5-1, and one, and I think Dante went 5-1 and one as well. Um, we'll be talking about Dante a little bit in this podcast because he did travel with me and he did room with me, and the man confirmed does not snore, which is fantastic. Um, but he went 5-1 and one on Briar. I went 5-1 on one and five and one on Oldham um, or Oldheim. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the Briar thing is probably a little bit less surprising now with the current context of uh, player perceptions on the sealed meta. Um, but the Oldham deck that I had was actually, I think it was the most powerful sealed deck I've had so far. Um, it was pretty crazy. I had a solid like 15 blues, and then I had some good reds, and I had some broken cards like 
uh, oak and old. I think it was pretty much just oak and old. Oak and old is absolutely oak and old is absolutely busted though. Um, anyway, on to the main event. Just quickly, so Dante and I both made day two. Dante made it in on X one. I made it in on X two. Um, unfortunately, because I did make it in on X two and I came in at sixty second, it was statistically impossible for me to top eight. So I decided to drop the event on day two and go play the pro quest. Um, this is pretty much the standard procedure for anybody who made day two in the the current system as it was implemented. Um, you just have a way. <laughs> There's almost no reason to not play the um, the pro quest because obviously you can get another PTI, which will be very relevant for the pro tour and worlds. And you pretty much gain nothing for playing the actual event. Maybe $200, but still probably not. Anyway, Dante. Dante made it into day two, went undefeated in day two. And I think he came in at the second seed. Um, I think something like that. Um, and had a pretty nice top eight run. Eventually lost in the semifinals. But, you know, got his PTI. So Dante is confirmed on the Pro Tour. And got his gold foil, which he was originally salty about. And now he is a hundred times more salty about that. So he did get a cold, a, a, a gold foil husk. Yeah. A gold foil husk. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was just kind of funny, but it was a great event and congratulations Tyler who will be joining us later on this podcast for his win. Um, but yeah, I mean, can't really, can't really put enough nice words onto it to explain it, but awesome weekend and really excited for Dallas, Cincinnati and Orlando coming up. Yeah. I was, um, I'm, I'm super hyped for, uh, you know, I guess, everyone but especially for Dante um to to take that top four and just a really good run I got to see both the games that he played on camera over the weekend and you know being part of um the testing team with yourself and, and Dante it was just great to see you know that that result happen and the way that uh, Dante played through the weekend and um him to to get that PTI and know that when we hit to that first pro tour next year Dante will uh, he'll be alongside us so it's, uh, it's good to know <laughs> yeah it's crazy to think that um I don't know if Dan McKay has his invite yet, but then we might all all be there. Um, yeah, if you do want to watch me lose on stream, I actually <laughs> lost round three. <laughs> it's a good match, though. Um, it's a good match. It was really, yeah, it was a really interesting match, and it's worth a watch back, I think. Um, but yeah, I had a good time, and I was I was I have to tell this story by the way because this story is very relevant. So Don, I on my plane to Vegas, I sat next to this guy called Corbin Hostler. Um, hopefully I'm pronouncing his last name correctly there, but he was actually running the coverage for the entire calling. I'd never met him before, but he popped up on my Twitter. So randomly on the plane, sat next to him. So I introduced myself to him. I was talking to him and stuff. Um, he asked me, asked me for people that he should look out for to put on, put on stream. So I said, Dante, of course. And he was like, oh, okay. And I was like, oh yeah, by the way, Dante really loves to be on round one. <laughs> Dante told me that that was the last thing he'd want and like he would actually you know maybe poop himself if he was on round one so i told corbin to put him on round one um and then day comes corbin actually puts both me and dante on round one so i'm also pooping myself at this time luckily my camera breaks but dante's on stream and i win my game and i turn around because he's sitting behind me at this time i turn around <clears throat> and I, d I see dante doing his his pant his patented dante sweat he's using both hands to 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 try to like wipe away the grease and sweat off his forehead that's leaking into his mask because he's so nervous and he looks at me when i stand up and just gives me like death the stare. most empty death stare that i've ever seen in my life and just shakes his head and dude i was i was actually terrified because i was like did i just give this guy a round on loss on the calling because i wanted to screw with him um <clears throat> so eventually he did win which was very very good um and i think that ultimately as as angry as he was 
uh, it did turn out well because we did get we got rid of his uh, his on camera nerves. So the thing is, is that although it was probably a mean joke for how nervous he eventually did get, if you're going to win the calling, you're going to be on camera. Like that's 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 just a fact. It's going to happen, and you need to get over kind of all those nerves that get associated with playing in that environment. So um, he won, and luck. I think that because of that as well, he told me uh, that he felt. A lot less nervous after that because it couldn't get any worse than a round one feature match at the calling <laughs> but uh yeah you're like, was, you're like a parent fun. who's like you know I'm, I'm gonna do best interests at heart i'm gonna make sure that you know this thing is done <laughs> it just proceeds to just psychologically abuse Dom. yeah no he was he was good um he you know he won the game it was versus it was versus you know fatigue or control so it was one of his easier matchups but uh yeah he looked like he was struggling um, I mean, the funniest thing for me was when we went and sat down after and uh, he had to like change his mask and like everything because that man had sweat like a puddle. <laughs> very nervous. Uh, uh, but yeah, Dante won and then obviously went on the X1 streak to get into the top eight, uh, made it all the way to quarters, got his PTI, his gold, all that good stuff. Yep. Yeah. Very, very happy and very proud. So mm-hmm. yeah. All right. We have, uh, I think we're going to move on to the news, Brendan, because we have quite a few things to talk about. This has been a pretty... <laughs> I think saying tumultuous isn't isn't understating it. A week or two for Flesh and Blood, it's been um, it's been pretty pretty crazy. I think you know, I just said at the top of the show, I'm feeling pretty optimistic and uh, feeling feeling good about things. But you know, we've definitely had some discussions over the past few days about about what's been happening in the world. And um, yeah, should we just jump straight into the news? Yeah, we are talking about uh, the the banning of dust blades and seas of agony. The way yeah. you were saying that was like we we're going to talk about a world event. <laughs> <laughs> no, t- top top of the news, we've got to talk about it. Uh, officially, as of uh, well, when this pod drops, they will now be banned from the twenty fourth of September. Dust blade is banned in classic constructed, uh, and seas of agony is banned in classic constructed and blitz. So that's all blitz. all three uh, pitch values of seas of agony are banned. So you know, pretty pretty big announcement. Uh, this came pretty i guess there was no scheduled announcement for abandoned restricted that's not how alice's have operated so far they didn't do it with drone either um they've just uh, published this they've given some explanations so i thought brendan um you know just wanted to give some facts here in the news that's uh, i guess after all <laughs> news should be reasonably impartial uh we'll, we'll give some facts and then we might just uh, kind of talk a little bit about it but i did want to say in terms of the way that LSS are going about their bannings and Living Legend and uh, what this means for Class Constructed and just uh, Flesh and Blood moving forward, we're actually going to be talking about this quite in depth on our patrons pod this week. Uh, so if you are a patron, you can check that out. Um, if, if you're not, join up and, and listen to the pod. <laughs> uh, and if you don't care, then it uh, is what it is. But yeah, so LSS did release a statement and said, you know, after the, the Vegas calling, um, they did feel that chain was you know it was demonstrated that you could beat chain and i think that's that's definitely true you can beat chain uh but what they said is they believe that removing seeds of agony from class constructed format will be positive for the tournament experience while uh, not eliminating chain as a viable player in the metagame chain will have to work harder to enable its current game plan allowing other aggressive decks to compete which we believe supports a more positive game experience that's what alice have said and um i do just want to call out as well they have also said and put on i guess notice on hallowed rights saying it's a card that they're watching closely uh because the ability to recur half and beyond and um for that brendan is is gratefully uh sorry for what he's done to the game but um yeah seeds of agony's banned i did just want to say as well just for a bit more context from the statement from lss they they did provide a why now um they said why now tales of Ari might fix it they expect that the ice mechanic featured in tales of Ari to be effective at combating chains primary game plan but they also expect Chain to remain a big part of the metagame despite this. 
uh, and they feel there's a risk the metagame could become very narrow for national champion season, national championship season, and they wanted to give uh, players as much time as possible to prepare for the national champs uh, with this new information with the bannings happening. And um, they did also say, just just going through this, uh, how did the seed grow to become the monster it is? Uh, they said that during the development, they were really focused on Monarch Limited. You know, Monarch was meant to be like this, I guess, marquee limited format. They were so much planned for it. And of course, things things happened and things changed because of COVID. Uh, but their their focus was really on, as I've said here, on the Monarch Limited. And, and Seeds was a card that helped them. And Riftblind as well, that cards, two cards that helped them, I guess, uh, balance chain and limited, but maybe tipped. There's this like tipped uh, chain over the edge in classic constructed, um. So you yeah. know they went through a lot of development. Sorry, Brendan. No, it's all good. Um, I was just gonna say in classic news fashion, let's give some opinions. Just uh, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Bit. Okay, just a little bit. Yeah. So we talk about like you hear Hayden say like not Hayden, but you hear the article say yeah, maybe we'll ban on Hallowed rights. So I think. In my opinion, that if they actually want a chain to be like pretty relevant or decently relevant um, in the meta, they would actually have banned on Hallowed Rites because then you would still like kind of just lose every game almost to fatigue. But what that would do is it would foster like a very popular matchup where one player just doesn't play Flesh and Blood and just blocks with four cards a turn, which is very bad Mm -hmm. for like the game being fun and also the game being a spectator sport. Like it's pretty bad for a spectator. And I think that's why they opted to go for seeds. And for me, Seeds really feels like the jugular. Like, it doesn't really get much worse than banning Seeds of Agony. Um, because, like, Seeds of Agony is obviously good on your final turns. You stack a big Seeds, you have a big Rift Bind, or, you know, many things, right? Building Urser, that's what you need Seeds for. But the, the bread and butter of the deck, as you go through the early to mid game, is Seeds of Agony, play a one cost, like, go see Visit, and swing the blade for four. That iteration, that, like, kind of sequence of cards in of itself was what made the deck, like, so kind of, unfair i guess yeah Yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't just an end game deck because i could do this bs off of like two cards right um and obviously the card out of out of banish so yeah for me seeds of agony does feel like the jugular they say like yeah well we we want want chain to still be relevant um yeah okay fine um i don't really see it uh maybe as like a pure aggro deck or you know like a deck that plays a lot less blood debt or like way more blood debt maybe i don't know but in its current iteration obviously that deck is trashed um in my opinion so it's interesting i think that we'll see a heavy shift off of chain as we kind of yeah, move to the next one which is not it was not a bad thing i'm not the funny i think that the biggest thing that people can mistake about us is that we are chain players we're yeah, not we're chain not. players we're 100 percent meta slaves we just play the best deck we don't care um and chain was actually one of the most unpleasant decks i've had to play because of the mirror it was terrible other than that like control was very very intellectually challenging and fun but the mirror was no good so i'm happy to move away from it and this banning of the banning of this card is very effective at uh deterring me from playing jane yeah i have a couple of things to to say and it's more about what's happening right now whereas and then I, probably my focus is what this means long term but i just want to say i guess in terms of the way i see myself in this game and the way that i approach this game is yeah i, I don't really have particular affinities for any one here in terms of the competitive side of the game uh because as you say you know like i want to approach this from a deck building position and i want to find the best deck for the best meta and uh tune that deck to win events really so whether that's chain whether that's Ryanar, whether that's kano whatever it is um i do have you know play play preferences i prefer to to play into which is you know more so uh aggro or i guess um combo decks yeah, to just want to <laughs> clarify the meta slave comment. <laughs> um, it's true. It, it's um, it's true. We, yeah, 
obviously like we have we have like affinities right like i don't particularly enjoy playing dorinthia if i can avoid it but if it if it was as good as chain we're like in my opinion chain in the past meta was actually over 50 percent on everything um if there was a dorinthia deck like that i'd be playing it yeah yeah um and the next thing i wanted to say is just about the spanning there's there's so much discourse out there in, in the community right now and uh every you know almost everyone has a lot of things to say and i think that's you know perfectly reasonable I I do just want to I guess I kind of wrote down a bit of a, a statement I guess for myself and I as I feel that the ban is is good for the game overall short and medium term uh you know what Alice said Alice said around the format warping nature of chain and what that meant for national championships I'm glad that we now get to explore all this other design space because at the end of the day chain is chain was beatable chain is beatable the problem that chain really caused was an, a narrow uh aspect of what you could do in a format so you know people were taking a, a fatigue approach to beat the deck which is basically one player not playing the game which isn't both not fun to watch and not really fun to play so there's so much design space that opens up which that's my opinion but there's so much design space that opens up now which i think is, is super exciting um in terms of the long term of the game I, I definitely have some concerns i guess around how lss prevent big things like this happening regularly uh, i won't say it wouldn't happen again but how do they prevent it happening regularly as more cards into the format how do they go back and look at their testing sort of make sure it's robust um and yeah i i think that what happens next is going to be really important but just overall i'm excited that we get to explore a ton of uh more design space and deck building space which is something that that i love about playing this game so there's definitely obviously there's concerns about what this means for players who are bought into these decks players who are looking at this game from the outside thinking about should they play it people who are new competitive players and immediately something that they like and want to play gets banned um but yeah i'm from a competitive aspect i think it's uh it's good for the health of the game and good for the growth of the um i guess competitive side of the game we'll just see what that means means long term i think the dusk dustblade ban is a bit more of a concern for me so dustblade has been banned before it even gets uh before released you know street date of uh, tales varia which is a bit of a concern for me but i think that's something that um we might dive into i guess a bit a bit deeper because that's very opinion based i think yeah for sure i think that i think that you know we've given about one tenth of our thoughts but 100%. in the sake of brevity and this being the news we'll kind of leave it there ultimately i would i would leave it down to this um i feel positively about it and i'm excited for the future that's it so like in terms of the end outcome i'm actually happy with it uh there's a lot more that goes into that, but um, I have a positive feeling as as an end result here. Yep, echo that. All right, next bullet in the news, I guess bulletin. Uh, the Nationals formats have been announced and there's more uh, data, oh, sorry, more information available now around National Championships. Uh, some dates have now been fixed for events that uh, didn't have dates. Uh, venues have been given, player caps updated. So... If you go to Fat TCG, you're looking at your nationals, want to find more information out. Uh, there's a ton more information there. And there's also information out about what the format of Swiss looks like with the draft portion and the constructive portion and then the cut to top eight and the cut to day two. So, um, yeah, I mean, super excited that we're going to get, of course, we already already knew this, but now it's confirmed in terms of that you get, there's two drafts and then uh, rounds of constructed with cuts to day two. Um, yeah, I'm excited that we get to play Classic Constructed and Draft. Multi-format has been my favorite sort of uh, events to play for other TCGs in the past, and I'm glad that we get this for Flesh and Blood because I think both the Constructed formats and the Limited formats are, are pretty fantastic. Yeah, I'm really happy it's Draft. I think that's par for the course with this kind of stuff, but uh, I'm very happy it's Draft because like, I really like limited um, callings and stuff, but it does... I don't like the sealed portion as much. Like, I, I'm a big limited player. Like, I like sealed a lot, uh, but... Like having the whole calling, like, you know, 
been making to day two predicated off the the sealed Swiss just is a bit more um, kind of n- neither here nor there with me. While with draft, I'm like actively excited to play that, and I'm able to like control the build of my deck to a to a very good extent. Yeah, definitely. And the the fact that it's draft as well is just for this size. We've got 96 players, most of them. Uh, just works out so much uh, so much better. Next up, uh, judge judges. So the judge program is live. That was being run through stores through Road to Nationals, so that stores and uh, those that were running Road to Nationals had access to level one judges and um, level zero judges, I guess, and some level two judges as well. Applications are now actually open from LSS for the level one judge test, which you can go and take. I think you have to register by October second, and then you uh, get an email from uh, LSS. Sorry, no, you have to register by September twenty seventh. So uh, a couple of days after this drops and you will get an email between October 1st and 10th uh, to do the test and, um, and get it done. So yeah, really interesting that we're obviously going to have a lot more judges, which is great. And uh, I hope that that sort of flows on to a level two and beyond where we have these judge programs with a lot of education and things like that. I think that's probably what's needed for the next step in the game as we move into a lot of callings, national championships, and uh, eventually into pro tours as well. Mm-hmm. Next up in the news, uh, Tales releases this weekend. So by the time this drops, we're going to be on the day of or just before the day of Tales officially releasing. We don't actually have a date for Unlimited yet, but that will be coming from what it sounds like Q4 is the date that's given at the moment, but there's no no official time on when Unlimited will be coming. So enjoy cracking your boxes and your packs this weekend and uh, may your pools be good. And hopefully if you're going to pull a Majestic Cold for a weapon, it's not Dustblade. <laughs> Yeah, that is uh that is like the big meme of opening these boxes, getting a bunch of cold full majestic dust blades, which I know once it boxes and I and I crack them, it's gonna be a plethora. <laughs> anyway, so I do wanna say that uh, you know, we did mention we are gonna be going over some reviews that we had in our previous limited podcast, um, the whole limited review for Tales of Aria. So we do kind of try to have a uh, like a flagship um limited review for every single set that comes out. It's kind of the big thing that we do. So if you wanna check that out, um it is on our YouTube channel. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of it we're right about, but of course some of it we're wrong about, and Definitely. that's just the nature of a limited review. I want to say thank you to our, pat- our patrons. We have almost 150 right now, so, and it's just been an incredible, <laughs> I don't know, incredible past like a uh, month or two. And we're very, very uh, appreciative for all the support that we've gotten and what it's allowed us to do in terms of freeing up some, you know, some time with video editors um, and all the other people that were able to help us out. Uh, we did recently put up an in-depth video on chain endgames and specifically how we atta- we attacked control in the last meta. This this video is like very theory focused with statistical breakdowns on the math and how the deck stacking actually works. So even if you're not interested in chain or if the deck is a thing of the past by this time, which it is because it was banned, <laughs> kind of, um, the episode um, will... Uh, will be full of like useful tips uh, you can take into future games uh, across all heroes, especially as formats slow down with Tales of Aria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And finally, I just want to say uh, Tales of Aria, we had some Tales of Aria sealed play go up um, and we'll be doing Tales of Aria Classic Constructed on YouTube actually pretty soon here. So keep an eye out for that. I know everybody's really excited to see the new heroes duke it out in Classic Constructed. So that is coming very, very soon. Um, and yeah, check out the same sealed gameplay as well because we do have a lot of callings coming up that are sealed, very, <laughs> very sealed focus. Got both Dallas and Cincinnati. Um, so make sure you're Saturday up if you're planning to play there. Yeah, and we've also got, uh, I mean, inadvertently in the release that LSS did for the bannings, the ban restricted announcement, they also <laughs> basically uh, dropped that uh, Skirmish Season 3 is going to be starting from November. Mm. So they did say that in the article, although it hasn't actually been officially announced. 
we do now know that we're going to have a skirmish season to close out the year. So in um, in theory, we're probably going to have a reasonable amount of those be limited, or at least uh, stores are going to have access to run those as limited. So if you are really keen to get into the limited format, you know, I would say you should uh, suggest to your store that you would love to play some limited. Um, and yeah, we've obviously got the content up the set review. We're doing uh, a bit of a look on week one as well today. And then as Brennan said, the sealed gameplay going up and we will do some more sealed gameplay. It's a really interesting format. There's a lot to take away and a lot to uh, dive into with it. Last thing I want to say before we round out the news, Brendan, uh, is that the we have time in the round. Went up last week. We had Taylor from the Attack Action Podcast join us. Uh, we've I guess we've changed the format of time in the round a little bit. So we are bringing guests on to time in the round. And I guess a big part of that is that there's a lot to discuss in, in I guess, the world of flesh and blood. And it just opens us up to allow uh, others to come on and discuss those things with us and get a bit of a different viewpoint, which I think is is really important. We don't, me and Brendan don't want to be too insular in our thoughts. So um, yeah, excited to to have some guests come and join us for time in the round. Mm-hmm. And and, um, and the week after that, we actually have Stephen Cookus. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Um, a commentator from the Flesh and Blood Las Vegas Calling and a local to me. He actually lives about 40 minutes away. Um, also known as DM Armada on YouTube. Yeah. So super excited to have him on. And yeah, so t- like Hayden said, time of the round has always been free form. Um, and just kind of very opinion based and just there to kind of talk and talk and have fun. So I think it's it's going to be really helpful for us to get on you know, new people from the community every week and just kind of rotate people in and get you know new thoughts, new ideas, new takes, um, all that kind of stuff and really make the episodes about those people. Um, and I think it's like, it's a great opportunity for me and Hayden to kind of learn more um, about you know the people of Flesh and Blood because mm-hmm. oh, it's like my favorite thing. It's like this interview style once. It was awesome having Taylor on. I, don't know, I really liked it. Yeah, yeah, and love to hear uh, any feedback as well that you guys have about the the new format and any guests you'd like us to try and get on. We do have some, you know, some really good guests lined up uh, to come on the time of the round, which I'm super excited about. So more on that in the future. Last thing I want to say before we round up the news, Brendan, is uh, if you won any of our giveaways over the past month for either the uh, Heralds, the Full Art Heralds, the uh, the Mat, or any of those other giveaways that we did, um, those have now been sent out to everyone. If you don't have those in the next week please flick us a DM, let us know. Uh, just bear with us. They were shipped around the world, so there was some, some international shipping going on. It might take a little bit longer than for some others, but um, yeah, if you don't if you don't receive those in your mailbox, drop us a drop us a DM. Mm-hmm. And no Command and Cookout section this week because we are joined by Tyler, so we've got a bit of a longer main topic, but it is officially restarting next week. And if you want to send us a question, you can send that to arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. Again, that's arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. Really appreciate when you guys send in questions, and we love you know having good ones when we're sitting around the barbecue. But anyway, Hayden, let's head into the main topic of the pod. Let's do it. And before we head into the main topic of the pod, I want to welcome Tyler. Tyler, thank you so much for joining us today, and a big congratulations on your win in Vegas. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into Flesh and Blood? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast. And um, I got into Flesh and Blood because a couple of friends of mine were like, hey, you got to check out this new game. And uh, I said no. I was like, I'm not <laughs> interested right this second. And then they kept on it, really. I mean... They're persistent, as I've learned that flesh and blood players are, and uh, they—I mean—it only took me one game to know that this was a special game, and uh, um, I've—I love everything about it, and uh, it—it w- it was over after that. That was—that was in July, about two months ago. Awesome. Did you play any games before Flesh and Blood, or was this uh, was this your first card game? No, I played a uh, you know uh, MTG, a Magic: The Gathering player, still am. Um, but mm-hmm. now it's kind of turned on its head now that uh, 
Actually, even before the calling, it was like, I, I'm a flesh and blood player first and then uh, magic after that. Yeah, I have to ask you the uh, the most definitive question of Magic the Gathering, which is, uh, what is your favorite format? Ooh, uh, big. That's a loaded question. Um, I think that I'm primarily a limited player, but if I had to choose one of the constructed formats, uh, I like Legacy the most. Mm, those are some very correct answers, just objectively. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew I knew I was tiptoeing a line there. <laughs> you, you've placed that, that, Yeah, those would be my answers too. <laughs> well, thankfully, you know, you did say the right thing, and you've chosen limited because today's you know main topic of the pod is all about limited, Tyler. But before we jump into that, I did want to ask, you know, you have just come off the back of winning the largest flesh and blood tournament to date. Uh, congratulations again. Just want to get your thoughts on you know the the weekend and and how um how the calling was what was the atmosphere like and um how are you feeling now uh two weeks or a week and a half removed from from the event and you win yeah um so the general atmosphere i guess we'll tackle that is that uh everyone was super excited to just be there just to be at a tournament was was super exciting and that was for everybody that wasn't just for me that was for all my friends for people that i got to meet over the weekend and it it really led to a great event overall. I think nobody left that event hopefully feeling left out or anything like that, just because everybody just wanted to play this game so much. Um, and then, you know, uh, during the event, you have you have the. I want to say that there was you know there was some blips on the radar, people you know misplaying a little bit here and there, or judge calls that took a really long time because people weren't used to it. But I don't think that ended up being. Uh, that big of a deal to a lot of people because we were just again so excited to be there. Um, I remember seeing uh, <laughs> I remember seeing uh, Brendan around the top tables, uh, and I I was uh, I was like, oh, I know that you know I know that guy. That guy that guy uh, does uh, this podcast is super awesome. Um, he's he's, he's easy to spot, right? Or, yeah. <laughs> oh, super easy to spot, but uh, kind of disappeared on me. Uh, you know, day two. Uh, don't know where he went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to go down to the PTI because I got that was that, we talked about this a little bit on the uh, the time around, but the there was a weird situation that went on with the um, qualifying for day two. So I got in on 62nd, uh, but it was statistically impossible for me to top eight. So I went and tried to uh, play the PTI instead, which was yeah. unfortunate. I kind of wanted to play more and like, you know, experience more players that had gone there. were kind of playing up at the higher tables, but. You know, I guess I'll just have to see you guys at in DFW and Cincinnati and upcoming in Orlando, where there will be no Shane, which is really interesting. Not no Shane, I can't say that. But Seeds of Agony is banned, and so is Dustblade. So that is a that is a wrench that we didn't expect to get thrown in, and I'm very excited for it. Um, I know we've talked a little bit about this, Hayden, but yeah, it's super awesome and super exciting for the format moving forward. I do just want to mention as well, Tyler, um, just to kind of re-congratulate, and I just want to impress on you like the importance of the event that you won. Like, I think that you won the most historic event in flesh and blood, maybe forever. <laughs> like uh, wow. that event was really kind of the proof of concept for the game. Um, the big first calling, you know, hosted by CFB streamed all that stuff. And to go there and practice and win is such an achievement. And I'm like, I'm so happy for you because that is really something that will just be kind of cemented forever. That oh, I'm I'm almost I'm almost speechless. I don't um, <laughs> I don't I don't you know even now I don't consider it to be well that big of a 
like I, I don't want to say it's that big of a deal. It was obviously huge winning the calling, but um, I guess I haven't looked at it through that lens that this was such a big event for Flesh and Blood itself. For sure. Uh, yeah. As we move forward, like calling wins will become more popular, right? We'll have more of them, but nobody else will get to take kind of that pedestal of winning that calling. The thing that, I mean, we can ceremonially say the first calling. This is coming from someone that, you know, top aided one of the early ones. So I don't really want to say that the other ones didn't count as much, but this one really did feel like this is where we started, right? This is when the competitive you know, aspect of the game, competitive side of the game has its birth. Um, and I think that this, you know, this is always going to be kind of one of the most historic and important ones to ever happen. I'd, I'd agree with that. And, you know, coming from someone who did win one of the early ones, I would fully agree with that. I mean, 750 players is the big sign of things to come. So, and, and Tyler, I did want to ask on the back of that, you know, you now have your, your PTI, you have just won the calling you, uh, what's, what's the future hold for, for Tyler? I know you top forward a road to nationals or one, one as well, right? So you do have your nationals invite. Are you planning to go to nationals? Are you planning to go to the next three callings? Like what is, what is your plans for flesh and blood? So I'm taking it step by step. I'm definitely planning on going to nationals and uh, I'm going to Dallas Fort Worth calling as well, which is the next one. And so I'm getting, you know, getting my uh, limited uh, cap on and and I have, you know, I just played pre-release this last weekend and I have a draft coming up on Saturday. We're also going to be testing our limited pools uh, uh, with my team and all of that. So a lot of limited, limited, limited coming up. Nice. Because it's a big format for both the calling and uh, and also nationals as well. Yep, awesome. All right. Well, speaking of limited, Brendan Tyler, should we should we jump into the main topic of the pod this week and talk about some limited, some of our early thoughts? We've all just played the pre-release. Um, we've played some some games in limited. I know me and Brendan, we've been running some of our sealed pools into each other uh, over the the last few days as well, just trying to get to grips with this format a bit a bit more. Sort of looking back on some of our our early grades from. Uh, the format so far and uh, Brendan, where are we going to start yeah i mean we talked about this slightly in kind of our our warm-up but tyler i know you said you got out to one pre-release can you just walk me through a little bit you know what were your first impressions uh did you play the world premiere i assume you you did maybe in vegas but what was your first impressions you know playing playing sealed and what deck did you end up on and where you know where did the power levels kind of land initially for you yeah, so I didn't actually get a chance to play the world premiere. I uh, I'm a teacher by day, so it's hard for me to get you know weekdays off. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I just had to sit there being jealous of all my friends playing and and posting pictures of their pools on on that Friday. But uh, I did get to one pre-release this last weekend, and everyone was talking in my ear. You know, uh, play Briar, play Briar, even before the you know even before the tournament started. And I kind of went into it with an open mind anyway, thinking I'm just going to go where the power level takes me. And as if uh, as if I hadn't run lucky enough, I opened a cold foil. Um, I forget what it's called, but the the, the shield for old time. Oh, yep. Ramps, uh, Rampart. Yeah, oh, Ramps Head. Yeah. Uh, and then I also opened uh, three Majestics in my pool as well. One being the Ranger, one of the Ranger Majestics, and then... Um, uh, I opened a Dusk Blade, um, and a uh, I forget what the last one was, but um, it was just like an embarrassment of riches kind of thing. Oh, Channel Thunderstep, that was the last one. And um, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I ended up uh, I ended up going the Briar direction mostly because um, when I'm playing limited, I like to test out certain cards and ideas that might come up when I'm playing in a competitive environment. 
So I wanted to see if Duskblade would take me in a direction that was like an automatic win or whether it was like not worth pursuing. And uh, I found that it, it actually was a. I feel like uh, Duskblade's now a trap in Limited. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can play if you're play if you know you're play, you know you see old time on the other side you can put it in and it's one of your equipments. But I actually just think the regular weapon is better uh, in most scenarios. And um, I ended up going three and one in my in my pre-release, and uh, it was actually a Lexi player that took it. Um, but they were surrounded by you know about five Briars and in, in the next five. So that, that's where I was over the weekend. And, and I'm sure we'll get more into the cards and things like that. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Hayden, what about yourself? Um, did you get out to any or did you do them all? Um, or were you not able to do them? Sorry, I'm not super familiar with the so, lockdown. Yeah, yeah. so I uh, still still in lockdown for another couple of weeks here. So, But got to do some at-home pre-releases, which was uh, still really nice to be able to do. Actually played, so played three at-home pre-releases over Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, just with local stores that had set them up um, on you know over Discord here in Sydney, which was yeah it was nice. I I had a very similar approach I think to you, Tyler. Like I wanted to test certain ideas with cards that I opened. So I opened like the Rampart for instance, and I wanted to try that and see how that played in with old time. Like was it to your point? Like was this a bit of a trap, or was there play patterns where I thought this card would be you know really viable? I also opened um, like Awakening in one of those pools as well. So I wanted to try that, and then. I had a Lexi pool that I played two rounds with and then found that it just was quite underwhelming. So I flipped to uh, an old time deck and then played Briar on Sunday. So I actually tried all three of the heroes over the pre-release. I uh, wanted to try out a few different you know, ideas and, and styles in the seal pool um, just to try and get to understand like what are some of the key commons? What are some of the key you know ratios for Hitch versus Fuse cards versus uh, your element cards? Um, so yeah, I didn't, didn't do very well actually to be honest. I think I went Two 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 and three one I think over the the um three circles. Mm. Yeah, you guys you guys all opened some goodies. I uh I think I played <laughs> between me and my partner we played uh eight pre releases the equivalent of eight pre releases and I opened a, a nice cold foil buckler. So you, you guys well. can be can be jealous on that one. Yeah, I'm just balling. <laughs> well, at least at least we all opened shields, right? So we're all the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, unlucky. What about you, Brandon? Um, so. Uh, yeah, so I played. Yeah, I played a few. Um, I pretty much try to play a different hero every time. Sometimes multiple heroes in each one, if I could. Um, but it was just kind of bouncing around. This this pre-release. So I don't know if it was like this everywhere, but uh, the Monarch pre-release in DFW area was interesting, right? They felt really competitive. I think it was because like there was the mat on the line. There was like only one mat, right? There was the one dark and the one light. And we also like we always did like six rounds. Maybe it's because there was like less competitive events going on at that time. So, you know, kind of like the skirmish effect where everybody just took like more cat you know, this more casual than they took it serious. But yeah, this one was quite different. It was more like kind of show up, open your packs, play for rounds and kind of dip. Um and it was just very relaxed, which is has its pluses and minuses. Um but because of that, I was just kind of playing around the whole time. So <laughs> just playing around with different decks, uh, you know, was very resistant to play Briar for a while. Uh, started out in old time of the world premiere, which is definitely the most broken deck I've ever had <laughs> so far. But that was because of my pool a bit. Um, then played a lot of Lexi and then eventually started playing some Briar as well. So I think my takeaway is like, I do agree with the power level of Briar. But that being said, I think that like Lexi is pretty underexplored. Um, and then old time can just be very abusive. <laughs> That's the right pool. Like I uh, was playing against one of our guys, Dan McKay, and I think he beat me like 
it was like uh, eight out of nine games, and he was just chaining five card hands into me, and I was just tilting off the face of the earth. <laughs> and I was on Briar. You were definitely tilting. Yes. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> That's super interesting that you said that yours was kind of kickback because I felt like mine was a little more on the competitive side, and I don't know if it's because we all knew each other um, already or or what, but. Um, but it, it ended up being a whole bunch of sweaty tryhards in in my pre-release. I, I missed that to be honest. Like, uh, it was cool to have like the kind of like the laid back atmosphere. But I do, I definitely miss. I missed like the monarch pre-releases that we had. I mean, those were like all six rounds, and like you know, we were all going for this mat that was like really hard to get. Uh, so that was really cool, and they had like coverage and stuff on it. This one just kind of felt like a normal pre-release, like kind of how like a magic pre-release would feel, uh, which is cool as well. Just. You know, tested out a bunch of stuff, got my sealed pools, and you know, been jamming them every morning since. <laughs> yeah, what was the what was the environment uh, like for you, Hayden? Yeah, pretty pretty chill, right? Like, um, I guess there's an element of like trust with these at home pre releases that you know people, I guess, have all their cards are opening up on like a big Discord room with their cameras on, but I guess people could you know swap out cards pretty easily if they wanted to. I don't, you know, I don't see why people would. The prizes were all random, so yeah, it was pretty chill. I mean, there was nothing to be won, so why just playing you know different heroes and trying out different cards i even at, at some points put in cards that i was pretty sure were actively bad in my deck um just to just to confirm that that was uh what i thought was correct <laughs> yeah i was just i was just interested i've never played a i've never played an online tournament for flesh and blood before so i was i was interested in what it's like it's not the same i'll tell wow. you that it's not that's, the same that's <laughs> really surprising actually yeah 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 you're, you're the new era of, of uh flesh and blood players heading forward which is awesome to be honest i think as much as it's been great to have online events for uh, the ability to play over the past year and a half. I can't wait for us to kind of put those in, in the rearview mirror personally. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Just, uh, you know, one day leaving this whole pandemic behind us seems like a, a, a dream that, that, that we could all play cards again. It's a, it's a big deal. Yeah. It's very interesting too, because I feel like the, like the general skill level of the United States or like North American players went up drastically because of skirmish uh, because there was like it was so accessible and it was so competitive and so big so it's really interesting to hear that you've had so much success and that you didn't play like didn't grind all those skirmishes as well so probably kind of a big uh a big uh shout out to your testing group and whoever you're playing with over there because that's pretty impressive in my mind yeah, I, I I am uh I have a great play, uh, play testing group and uh, we're on you know we are on tabletop simulator almost every day so it's not like I don't utilize any online tools but I just haven't played any tournaments yeah. online which uh, uh, you know it might still be uh something I'm missing out on. Uh, well, not any <laughs> not anymore definitely. That that's a time that has come and gone. So luckily luckily we don't have to do that anymore. Fair <laughs> anyway, enough. Um I just want to talk a bit about each hero so let's let's go ahead Hayden. what do you think let's start with briar because this is the one that yeah. you know tyler you said you were familiar with so tyler give me your your kind of general thoughts on briar like some play patterns that stand out to you and you know maybe some cards that are standing out as well yeah absolutely so um the big one that i want to point out is um this is a card that uh, I wasn't on my radar at all before I started, and then I had uh, one of my friends pretty much tell me this card's busted, and that's um, Vela Veil. I think it's oh, called. Vela Flash. I it's Vela Flash. Yeah. yeah, Vela Flash. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and um, so I didn't realize that you could play this card, 
uh, fuse it, and then you could play your instance to regain your action, or you play your non-actions to regain your action point afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking, I was like, this is the most underwhelming card. Why am I even playing this card to, this is the best card in the deck. So the play pattern is obviously you you play it, and then you play a non-attack action that has go again, regain your action point, um, and then you can continue either attacking or use your weapon. Um, and 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 it just creates a a different way to play almost than any other hero I've played in Flesh and Blood so far. Yeah. Um, Massively agree. The, that I'm, with Electrify is is pretty a pretty crazy two card combo. I think. Absolutely. Um, and that the deck, in my opinion, is just it's just like hungry for ways to give go again to your oh, yeah. attack actions. So Channel Thunderstep was another big one for me, where it not only gave uh, go again to your uh, potentially your next one, your next uh, attack action, but also next turn, which is that. I mean, I don't think people realize maybe how big that is to give multiple turns of go again. Um, and, uh, and then also a big shout out to Ball Lightning. Um, and uh, I'll leave the the generic equipments I'm playing for later because uh, I'm sure we'll get to those as well. But those were the standout. I was playing a lightning-based Briar deck and I was fortunate enough to open, like, you know, I think I was playing four cards that either weren't Elemental Runeblade, you know, Lightning Fusion or uh, a light, an actual lightning attack. So it was almost completely lightning. That's wrong. Mm -hmm. I think just talk about them now, Tyler. Just talk. I think we, as we talk through these oh, heroes, sure. we will just talk through all of them. We can, we can make it up as we go. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, I guess that's the point. Uh, Deep Blue was a card that came out there to me. There we go, Deep Blue. <laughs> so uh, good. Yeah. Also, shout out. Uh, I'm a big chess fan, so um, Deep Blue uh, is a reference to the, the IBM. Uh, yeah. Yeah. To the computer that beat Gary, Ka the world champion Gary Kasparov, in a in a match, and then since then, obviously, computers have gotten out of out of control uh, as far as beating humans at games, but. Um, you know, that's a shout out to like the first one, which uh, which I love. But um, making three mana from any of your cards at any point, it's just like an it's like a I'm going to fix your hand later kind of card. And it, it just unlocks a very powerful turn down the line that you might have not otherwise have. And that's a big thing in Flesh and Blood for me is um, I know you guys talk about pivot turns a lot, but off turns are it's like giving your opponent a free pivot turn. And that can happen a lot in limited, depending on how, on your deck consistency. And this kind of fixes that. So I was a big fan of that. And then also the boots that prevent one damage were surprisingly good versus other, uh, not only other Briar decks, but just other decks in general. They, they didn't stand out to me as something that was strong. I thought it was a throwaway card, but now I might even rate that card as like, you know, like a C because uh, it just prevents some of the big turns that you wouldn't otherwise think about. Um, yeah, those were yeah. my those are my impressions. From For sure, I was I was saying I think that like uh, seal pulls with deep blue and seal pulls without deep blue feel significantly different. <laughs> like that is one of my favorite cards in the set, one that I'm always looking to open. I also did tell Hayden about that little fun fact, and he didn't think it was as cool as I thought it was. I I, I actually watched the documentary for that like uh, IBM supercomputer recently on YouTube. It's super good. Um, but yeah, it feels like weird and bright. I think that you actually, we talk about gaining action points and go again. Um, I think one of the things I'm actually looking for when I'm opening a Briar Pool is like um, a certain amount of non-attack actions. Because I, I want to, when you double non-attack action into an attack action in Blade, that's kind of one of the kind of medium to higher level power things you can do. And just like a very good standard turn to chip in damage, 
Um, and, you know, ideally Arsenal card on the end of that. But yeah, it's pretty interesting. Hayden, what do you think regarding kind of non-attack action ratios in a in a briar pool i like whenever there's a question about ratios you default to me brennan but <laughs> yes because you <laughs> i think it's i think it's um you i mean you definitely need non-attack actions right but it's also the quality of what those non-attack actions do so i think you can serviceably sit with anywhere from sort of like nine upwards um in a 30 card deck but what you're really looking at is like what are those cards going to do so if they help you uh like tyler just talked about how heavy his uh, elemental sorry his element and fuse cards were so if they help you you know tee off your fuse cards those are perfect right so electrifies um and also so tomorrow even and, and that is, is pretty reasonable so those cards are, are quite important i think and then it's just about the, yeah what the quality of your deck looks like overall i wouldn't be if you're getting up past sort of 12 non-attack actions but you're jamming you know bad non-attack actions into your deck it's probably i think it's probably not worth it you, you start to just make your deck worse whereas it's still perfectly reasonable you know you talk about those off turns and and allowing pivot turns it's still perfectly reasonable to pitch a blue and come in with a, a break ground for seven right on a turn after you defend with two cards like that is still a reasonable turn so having good cards in your deck that allow you to just have good two card hands and just play uh, a nice you know gentleman's game of flesh and blood between your sort of big turns is, is more than reasonable and actually something i wanted to pick up on that tyler said was you know about the limited format and having off turns i think in this format more than any limited format so far that is that is true like it is so true in this format there's so many turns where um it's hard to play four card hands in because you don't draw the right combination of uh fuse and element cards or you draw the wrong element with the wrong fuse cards so on the first cycle of the deck i think that's that's uh, really important and um yeah I, I just want to say as well deep blue i mean brendan i think you called that you thought it was the best common in the set when we did the set review and uh, he's probably looking quite smug right now <laughs> very very smug but i also want to talk about these uh Sutcliffe suede hides i don't know if you guys have played with them but oh my god they feel like um they feel a bit like refraction bolters but i yeah, feel like do. uh the difference is, is that Briar without these boots is actually not as bad as Dorentia was without refraction bolters. Like I feel like in Welcome to Wraith, you really needed the bolters to kind of have like a good deck in Dorentia. Um, but Sutcliffe's Sut highs is just that's just icing on the cake, baby, and they're so good. I mean, being able like we, I mean, Runeblade is really it seems like a lot of Runeblade is just all about go again, right? So Sutcliffe's highs allows you to do that. It is going to allow you to swing out that weapon sometimes, so, or you maybe just have a degenerate turn that goes very wide. Um, I will say that the most broken thing I've done in this format was a Sting of Sorcery. So that's the new Majestic. Um, it says, when you attack with this, deal one arcane damage to target hero. I did Sting of Sorcery and then Triple Ball Lightning. It's <laughs> when you attack with, a, attack with attack action this turn, it deals one damage and it's an aura that destroys yeah. the end of turn, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep, with new attack with this one, yeah. it's uh, That was definitely the most busted thing I've done in this format. But uh, I've seen Sting of Sorcery into Ball Lightning a few times, and it never feels good. That, plus then you have the Mark of Lightning too, and it's just, whew. Yeah. Yeah, but that is just, that goes straight to your point, Tyler, that Ball Lightning is a serious card, um, both in Briar and surprisingly in Lexi as well. And I know you have something to say about that because you were slapping me with those ball lightnings when we were recording this video. Yeah, I got I to gotta take back what I said. I was, I was clearly a bit, a bit uh, down than, than you were on ball lightning and, and incorrectly so. That card is, is very, very strong. I, I knew the card was good, but it's it's even stronger than I thought. So definitely can't look past it. I did just want to say, and Tyler, you actually kind of started to talk about this, but how powerful or how strong the generic equipment were for you. The other thing that has made me you know value these generic equipment really high is actually the threat of activation on those equipment um whether that be something like the mark of lightning whether it be the runaways on your opponent's key turn there's just this this threat of activation of having these cards around that your opponent has to factor in what's happening so if you you know if they're coming in with a dominated attack 
and they've already attacked once this turn and then you have the runaways to potentially stop their on hit effect like they have to start thinking and factoring in these plays which is um it's probably what i've found to be some of the most interesting parts of this limited format so far i'm not sure if you found that when you talk about the generic equipments tyler yeah that's exactly what i was kind of talking about with the runaways is not that this was a card that was going to break the format or anything but that um i was surprised at how much utility i got out of them given that i thought you know this is a one you know you're getting in for your one attack with all these non-attacks but it just came up so often that the one damage either saved me or saved a big turn and uh that that's exactly what i was getting at and i'm actually gonna uh pivot to another thing that i that i saw another briar deck doing and they were fortunate enough to open um two sigils of suffering and this card was absolutely <laughs> off the chain uh i was at two life thinking i'm all smug i'm i have counters on my dusk blade and i'm gonna win this game into two turns later i was just dead because he full blocked with a sigil of suffering one turn and then another one the next turn and i was i was dead yeah what a callback to, uh, i lost, uh, I lost to that as well yeah, I lost to <laughs> Sigil of Suffering as well. It's a it's a weird in, end game you can play in two because if you have two, of course, you can play after two. But once they get to one, you just block. It's you know you're pretty likely to be able to block out the entire turn with your your whole hand. It gets a bit weird in brought like in a Briar Mirror because the weapon obviously it's two arcane damage. But yeah, I mean when I had Sigil of Suffering, it was it actually for being a rare, it, it feels really really good, um, especially because it can just be an alternate win con just in the deck. Yeah, I don't know if absolutely. You wanted to say anything else about Briar before we move on, Brendan or Tyler, but one thing I did just want to say just generally about this format, because we did just talk about Fuse and um, Ratios and things like that, is that a lot of the Fuse cards, and we're talking about Briar, Briar has these as well, a lot of the Fuse cards are just good by themselves. Um, I think you you don't need to jam in um, necessarily bad uh, element cards all the time to, to hit numbers, I think, as well. Like, some of these cards are perfectly reasonable to play, you know, Rites of Flourishing, Red for 6, and come in. But if you have the fuse, then you get to set up something on the bottom. Or, you know, Bramble Spark still can set up a, a really big turn for you, even if you don't have the Earth Fusion. Um, but, the, the, you know, those cards, you, you definitely want to be able to fuse them at some point through the game. But doesn't this, I found that it doesn't need to be the, like the be all and end all, that every turn you need to be able to make sure you hit your fuse. Sometimes there's decisions about cards you arsenal to make sure you can try and set up a fuse turn. But sometimes you're just playing like a, a, just a good solid hand in, right? So that's just something I sort of observed. Just format in total, all the heroes I feel are, are pretty similar on that regard. Absolutely. I think there's like general cards that you can you can just have a general turn, like you guys said, and then um, continue from there. You don't always have to have the busted turn. Um, but something I wanted to kind of ask about is I played a primarily lightning deck, and so I didn't get a chance to play a lot of the strong earth cards. And I could see that you could play, you know, an, an earth lightning kind of fusion. But did anyone play like kind of a, uh, a base earth deck? Because what I found with the lightning deck is I almost didn't care about the embodiment of earth tokens at all. And so I'm wondering if you play the Earth uh, tokens, do you care about the embodiment of Lightning in that deck? That's really interesting, actually. I, I got to say, from from my side, I didn't really see the opportunity in my pool so far to just play like straight one element. I think they weren't quite strong enough to do that. But um, I think if what I did notice is that they did lean one way, like you're saying. Like I had definitely had some that had you know eight fusion Earth cards and then two fusion Lightning. And for those, I would say that it, it depended. Like what I felt the embodiment of earth did mostly was allow me to um just set up a turn so say i come in for damage i get two embodiment of earth and maybe my hand isn't that great but it's good to play off two cards then i just get to you know block with two cards or block with one card arsenal a card for a future turn and come in with a, an attack whatever it might be um which felt or even just block with you know three cards coming with a weapon which um if my opponent had a big turn because they they tanked the damage so that's what i kind of found with the embodiment of earth is that in those in those decks if you have 
in the right setup um they're, they're you know they're very very strong they just have like good utility right like they just allow you to turn bad hands into pretty reasonable turn cycles for you absolutely yeah. and and talking about that just in case the listeners don't know a play pattern that came up a lot is setting up your next turn you would go non-attack action attack action with go again and then non-attack action to get that embodiment of lightning token to set up the next turn yep yep which is huge actually um yeah, or, or or even attack with the the weapon, right? Because it doesn't pop the embodiment of lightning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy with the how the weapon works that way. Um, so, so I had I had I, I was mostly split on you know elemental and earth when I did play Briar, but you know Bramble Spark into Stir the Wildwood uh, specifically was just <laughs> very very powerful. So coming in, you know, if you do have the red coming in for nine plus the one arcane. Just a lot for the opponent to deal with. I found rights of replenishment to be a bit underwhelming, um, but maybe because like some a lot of the games are going quite quickly, that it wasn't super relevant to kind of be retucking cards into the deck. Yeah. Um, I'd agree, but yeah, I think I think explosive growth is a crazy card. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so cheap. good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, sweet Hayden. What do you? I'll let you choose. Um, Lexi or Old High? Let's go. Let's go, Lexi. I think Lexi is one that I've enjoyed playing the most so far in this format. So maybe I can talk to that first and then throw the throw the mic uh, either of your way as it as it were. I think um, Lexi is like super interesting. the The tough thing about having a hero right in a format where two other heroes have weapons and this has effectively a weapon that doesn't attack would you know seem to think that you know is this one that can uh, introduce fatigue into the format and you could see this hero fatiguing out or struggle to compete because of the play patterns aren't as uh as straightforward you know where you can't set up turns where you block with three coming with weapon but what, what i actually found with lexi is that the shivers ability is just so strong that it offsets that so much and uh the ability to have basically all your all your attacks right all your fusion attacks have these on hit effects that are that are pretty relevant um except maybe the rare the frost rare but the, the rest are pretty relevant in this limited format and you have so many ways with that Lexi ability to attack twice in a turn with um, with flipping up a lightning card and, and playing actions that usually you're just able to push through damage and then dominate an attack and it's very difficult unless your opponent has, you know, maybe their old time and they have multiple defense reactions plus the ability to use the hero ability most turns. They're going to struggle to be able to contain your damage anyway. So yeah, I had the most most fun playing Lexi, I think. It's the hero that's probably intrigued me the most in this limited format. I think it's probably also the the maybe the hardest to build, although I do think old time can be hard to build. Um Lexi's probably a bit harder to play in terms of that you're probably in almost every game going to cycle through with Lexi just uh, due to the nature of you uh, not having a weapon and, and playing out uh, four or five card hands every single time. Um, so yeah, I guess in terms of some of the cards that impressed me with Lexi, like Electrify is probably one of the best commons in, in Lexi, just that ability to flip it up, give go again out of Arsenal, draw a card, um, have multiple attacks where you're threatening that on-hit effect of Electrify. All the uh, the frost arrows, I think, are great in the mid game. You know, the ones that give you the frostbite tokens, or the one that make them discard a card uh, with dominate, is like just a really, really just nice play pattern. Because we talked about earlier, right? And Tyler said this. You know, the the pivot turns and the off turns. Uh, if you have an off turn, but your off turn it still has an on hit effect, it means that your opponent is uh, going to find a lot tougher to pivot when you're effectively forcing minimum two cards out of their hand, either because they uh, discard or they they want to block. So um, yeah, I, I think that he's pretty fun i know you drafted it at the the world premiere brennan um tyler did you have any interaction with lexi yes you said that you lost to it what was that deck kind of trying to do yeah so um i'll speak to the one that i lost to they they were it seemed like they were trying to go with a, a big arrow mo more of the time and um and then dominate later so they the big arrows i initially didn't want to block and then i realized in a hurry why i did want to block 
is because I wasn't going to be able to later. Shiver is an absolutely busted weapon. Um, and then uh, a lot of the frost, as you said, the, a lot of the frost arrows gave me a lot of trouble because as a briar, that extra mana or extra resource point is such a huge deal. Um, the our tournament was also won by Alexi, and um, I think part of that had to had to do with them opening the legendary ice armor uh, that has arcane barrier on it. Um, and then, uh, but the the ability of this deck to just kind of pick and choose the way that it wants to attack was the thing that impressed me the most you know um sometimes some sometimes it would be a big arrow and sometimes it would just be a small dominated one that that had a on hit effect but in either case it, it was just interesting that if i feel like this has a lot more place to be uh explored on on how to play this deck correctly because it seems super complicated yeah yeah i think it is yeah. i think it is my biggest takeaway from drafting it, and I would say drafting it incorrectly, is I actually felt like I needed more pumps. Um, so when I'm opening like a Lexi Seal Plot, I'm actually kind of looking for some ways to pitch to end the game. So either it's like, um, you know, what is that card? That the one with Reload? Overflex. Yeah, Overflex. You know, and, and honestly, kind of like any kind of... Um, there's tons of pumps in this set, tons of... You know, We've common, but yeah. Yeah, that's definitely what I feel like I, I want. Um, not that I need like a ton of those in my deck, but I definitely need a few, like uh, maybe two to three of them to kind of pitch to set up an endgame where I can dominate and win. I felt like when I had a bunch of good arrows, you know, quote-unquote good arrows, this is out of draft, um, when I was just kind of doing a single arrow per turn um, with an on-hit effect, it was just too weak compared to what my opponents were doing. Even if I was kind of getting the tempo with like a chilling ice vein and making them discard... Um, it didn't seem to be enough. I think that you you do want to be able to go tall to some extent. Yeah, well, I think going going wide is, is feasible, but you need the support cards. Like if I talk about the thing I'm looking at in a seal pool with XC, I'm looking at of course my red arrows. Like how many red arrows do I have? And then to your point, I'm looking at okay, what do my pumps look like? So do I have like weave lightning? Do I have the um, overflex? Do I have the ice quake as well? Is also really good because you can flip that up to give um, the frostbite token off Lexi's ability, then come in with a dominated arrow and, and force another frostbite. Uh, those are the kind of cards I'm looking at, but I'm also looking at like, what's my support package here? Like, do I have these kind of frost support packages, which is, I think is, to be honest, a bit more go, sorry, ice, ice which is a bit more go tall, or do I have like, um, you know, the lightning entwine card, or do I have the one that gets uh, go again out of Arsenal? Like those are the cards I would think you need to support because there's this really interesting play pattern that I think becomes pretty apparent with Lexi pretty quickly is that you don't actually want Arsenal arrows, you know, in uh, Arcane Rising or in Ranger Constructed, right? Like, with uh, Azalea, you generally want to put an arrow into your arsenal. Like, that's quite a good thing to be doing. But in this format, if you put an arrow into your arsenal in your turn, uh, you, you're basically shutting yourself off from Shiver's ability unless you have go again. So unless you have like the, um, the go again arrow. So in general, often you actually don't want to be playing necessarily uh, five cut hands unless it's a, an a element card that you can flip up with Lexi's ability, which is then in that case, that's when you're really getting the power out of the deck um, is when you get to use Lexi's ability. So... Yeah, I just thought it was quite interesting that uh, often I fell into this trap early on of putting arrows into Arsenal and not actually good. <laughs> yeah, I completely I... agree. Um, sorry, did you want to go, Hayden? Or Brendan, sorry. No, yeah, you're good. Go ahead. Okay, uh, so uh, something that I wanted to kind of touch on is uh, that you said was the go wide kind of thing is that this is another avenue that Lexi can go because of her ability. And um, something that kept coming up with me is just the ability to mess up the, your opponent's turn whether it's with a, a chilling ice vein was a big one that came up um it's like do you want to pitch for resources that do nothing or just discard the card or um and then even playing you know 
amulets or something like that um and then giving your opponent a frostbite token and it, it's just like you're now you're having a big off turn yeah this actually came up in a, um, a game that we just played on camera brennan that's going to be up before oh, yeah. this before this pod goes bring up. it up like that aren't you <laughs> <laughs> but that that play pen does come up right like either i was trying to go tall against you or sometimes you know there'd be some go wides with uh, with on hit effects which is Lexi has a lot of uh, flexibility. It's just a, it's a bit more difficult to, I think, sequence them, and it often comes down to having to pitch for some of these as well, um, which is, is really interesting. Yeah, and I want to ask a question. I think that is on a lot of people's minds, um, and that is, can you fatigue Lexi? Is fatigue a, a strategy that you can employ? This is like, uh, if you look back to Arcane Rising, people try to fatigue Azalea for sure, but now, um, you know, you look at Lexi, other two heroes in the format do have solid weapons. Lexi does not. Um, Obviously, Shiver is crazy, but it doesn't attack on its own. So is Fatigue a liable strategy versus Lexi? Why or why not? No, I'll start, and then I want to I hear what Tyler thinks as well. I'm not sure if he, he saw this at all at, at the tables next to him, but I, I think you can always you can always do that, right? You can always Fatigue, but I think the likelihood of being able to do this in this format is very, very tough. The the you know the go, sorry, the dominate on a stick that Shiver has is going to make that very difficult. I did actually play one round with my with Alexi pool where I did I didn't quite get fatigued, but I would have if I didn't try and go for the win. Uh, where my opponent had uh, five defense reactions in his ult time and had a lot of earth cards to always be able to turn on ult time's ability. So in that case, like he had a very strong defensive um, defensive pool. But there's not many you know defense reactions. You know Briar has access to sigil at rare, but other than that, it's going to be very difficult for. Um, opponents to be able to stop the kind of fray train once Lexi rolls and, and Lexi can really build up some tempo and if uh you know if the deck is reasonably strong or even if you get to the second cycle and you get to set up it's going to be you know I would say pretty pretty hard if not close to impossible to deny that ability to push through damage yeah I uh I was actually going to say that I think this is less about whether you can fatigue Lexi and what your individual pool is. And uh, this is a shout out to uh, Adam Feifels, who played old time to a 4-0 at his pre-release. He's a testing buddy of mine. And uh, he, he in his, he said he had uh, two of the rare um, defense reactions and then just a bunch of three blocks in his pool. And he was able to fatigue every single opponent. And I think this speaks more to just what your individual pool of cards is versus the actual like whether Lexi herself can be fatigued because obviously if you're playing Briar with a bunch of two blocks um sure you can try to make embodiment of of uh, earth tokens but you're probably not gonna fatigue the Lexi that way yeah that's actually a great point I think it comes down to like you say the, the not so much the macro play patterns but the play patterns within your own pool and what you can do and that's actually that's the exact same thing that happened in in my example as well right as my opponent had a, a really strong access to these these defensive cards and like you say three blocks etc and also actually had like a way to win the game late with um just like he pitched a dominating uh sorry um glacial footsteps so he had that inevitability of dominate to push through damage anyway late game if needed mm-hmm. glacial footsteps that's a it's a dangerous one to play an end game around um i tried yeah. <laughs> i tried doing that almost to a fault but uh I stacked, uh, I'd stacked a glacial, I stacked two blues glacial fuse card, and then a, literally the other hand was two blues glacial um, fuse card. But then I got hit by a dominated attack, and it just threw off my whole count, and ended up just drawing my blues, and I just drew my glacials. Um, yeah, but glacial is kind of weird too, is when you when you pitch it for the end game, um, just because you kind of you need the entire four card hand, right? So how much life you're going to be on, how much damage can you take when you finally do get to that second cycle? I think that's like a dance in this game a bit, right? Yeah. It's like you can get to the second cycle, um, 
but you really got to manage your health. I mean, this, this format over any other format I've been in, you, there feels like the life threshold is not one. Like it's like three or four. Like once you go below three or four, it's just like you're getting threatened lethal with multiple card blocks every single turn. And they're going to arsenal and play a five card hand on you. That's not blockable. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Even outside of that, it's not just the threshold for dying. It's actually the threshold for being able to construct a pivot turn is very different. In other formats, you could actually construct pivot turns off, I think, less cards as well because the, the cards were just maybe a little bit stronger by themselves but less synergistic, whereas this format, very much about like synergies between cards, but of course because of fuse. Um, so you do need a few more cards to generally create pivot turns. So there's, I think, a narrow... I think we've already talked about this a little bit, Brendan, just in, in our sort of early thoughts, but the there's a narrow a narrow window in terms of being able to construct a pivot turn um often you just have to you have to go for it because if you you fall below a certain life total and you can no longer play five card hands for the rest of the game uh, that might have been your missed opportunity yep it, it it yeah it's definitely different from monarch in that sense like monarch felt like it was very much about setting up a pivot turn and playing off of that this seems like you have a window to do it and then after that it's just gone um and i also feel like this format feels a bit tempo based um especially once you get to you know maybe sub 10 after that uh kind of feels like you want to be the one with the tempo or like it's hard to be on the back foot in that case um, but speaking of glacial footsteps let's talk about the the old man in the in the north mr oldheim so like i said i played old time in the world premiere that was definitely the most powerful deck i've had um mostly because so if we the one thing i want to say with old time is like you have the weapon but it plays so much different than bravo did in welcome to wraith like bravo is very centered around the weapon um and it's like the the one-hander you know it does three or four um but you, you end up i found myself not swinging it very much mostly because of the power level of the other cards in the in, like available to you um so when i played old time i found myself kind of you know using big elemental guardian attacks most of the time when the pool you know what made my pool so good was you know, had like the double glacial footsteps with, you know, enough targets to reliably fuse it as well as, you know, having 14 to 15 blues. I think you do want like that uh, probably over 10 um, and somewhere between 15 blues to kind of, you know, be able to play your big attacks. I also have this card called Oakenold, which is a double fuse card. And I actually, <laughs> I actually think most of the double fuse cards in this format are BS and limited. Um, but Oakenold, it looks like a trap. You're like, I'm never going to be able to cast this, right? It's a double fuse. No, no, no. You park that bad boy in Arsenal, and that's just a pivot. It's a pivot turn in and of itself. That card is crazy. Nine dominate, four, three. Um, and they, they, I think they put two cards at random on the bottom of their deck. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oakenold was, was just a nutty card for me to have. There's, not, there's another card called Awakening, which I haven't played with yet, but uh, I've been on the other side of it, and that has tilted me to a new world sometimes. That is a, <laughs> that is a pivot turn. A pivot turn. Yeah, one card pivot turn. Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, two card pivot turn. Um, Hayden, what, what's your idea of kind of, you know, like we're going back to ratio, so I got to just spin it back to Hayden <laughs> to get the, the ratio. That ratio news. How many blues do you need? Um, and like, what is your, like, what makes a good, uh, a good old him pool? Is it having enough blues to swing the weapon consistently and play your stuff? Or do you need those reds to have a powerful deck? I think there's two things here. And I think, um, this is going to lead in nicely. I think uh, Tyler might have a, a view on this just based on what he said before about old time. But I think you you want to have... I think the blues are less important than I thought they were initially. I don't think they're as, as important as, say, they were for Bravo, who often wants to have you know, basically consistently two blues in every single hand. You're actually okay often to play off, uh, off a yellow and a blue. And one of the things with that as well is that your yellows, elemental yellows, oh, sorry, element yellows, allow you to uh, double pitch for 
ult time, which you don't want to do a lot of the time, but the threat of activation on the ice ability of ult time is actually, I think, a bit underrated. Putting a, a card on top of uh, the opponent's deck when they're trying to set up like a big go wide turn or they really need that card in Arsenal to set up a five card in next turn is, is pretty important. Um, so I do think the yellow has a place. Of course, you do need to be able to cast cards like uh, like um, Glacial Footsteps and, and Thumps and things like that. But often, you know, you've you've also got these cards like Earthor Surge as well that you want to play. Um, so you do need a number of blues. But I think the weapon really comes down to, again, a little bit what you said, Tyler, around what your pool looks like. I think in some pools, you're going to have these really strong red attacks. You're going to be able to be very offensive. You have the pumps like Earthor Surge. You're never really going to have uh, these, these off turns. You're going to be able to always use like four to five cards from your hand and just keep tempo a lot of the game. And then in other pools, they're going to look a little bit more defensive. You might have some of the auras that you're, you're setting up and you're, it's uh, coming across over two turns. And in which case, I think, you know, there's very likely play patterns where you uh, defend with a card, maybe pitch two cards to be able to use all times ability, and then you come in for four on your turn. I think that's pretty reasonable. Um, I'm sure maybe that's what Adam Adam might have ended up doing, Tyler. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that uh, came up is obviously... Some in your old time pool, you're probably going to have to have some sort of busted uh, attack card, and for him, it was uh, Cracker Jacks plus Thump. Yep, there we go. Uh, yeah, the Classico. <laughs> <laughs> just, just the creme de la creme. Um, but uh, what what he said was the the biggest play pattern was you wanted to block with two of your cards and then have a big two or three attack to follow that up with, and so the weapon didn't, as you say, play really big into it. It was it was more of the attacks were doing the work. Um, and then the other cards were just decent at blocking. Um, and uh, I do think that looking at my opponents, maybe the the old-time ability was uh, a little bit underrated. Um, I, I saw it used for preventing damage, but I don't think that's where you primarily want to be putting your resources. But um, I don't know. I, I, I would be interested in seeing an old-time pool that was more about disrupting... Uh, um, you know the uh, the opponent's turn with frostbite tokens and that kind of thing. I think right now the best old time builds are probably going to be the ones that can block out really well and then still you know send an attack the other way. Yeah. Just slap big attacks at your face for twelve with dominate or, or whatever it is. Like Earthal Surgeon to thump is just the most disgusting thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't doesn't feel great to be on the other end of that one. No, I I, I have seen you be on the end of it a couple of times, Brendan. But one of the things I was also going to say on on that sort of, I guess, um, train of thought is where all time uh, ends up with that ability is that I think it's one of the most difficult things to do correctly in this format. One of the hardest things when playing all time is how to actually build for and use correctly your hero ability. Um, I think I either saw players basically not using it all or overusing it to their detriment to not be able to set up turns that they might want to. So I think as we go through this format, that's uh, that, that hero ability is going to be one of the more difficult things to to operate around. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I don't know if you guys saw, but um, there was a a post by, uh, I forget his name, the guy that posts the spreadsheets for the comp the classic game for Road to Yeah, Yeah, and he posted one for the limited metagame, and apparently the, I think, 70-something percent uh, of the pre-release winners were Briar. But I think that's actually going to come down just because the other two heroes are so hard to play. Mm -hmm. Um at least out of base level, you know, when to use old times ability versus when to not. And, and Lexi just has so many game actions that, that it's kind of impossible to expect people to play, you know, play them correctly uh, from, from day one. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you like a million times percent. 
million billion um it's it's like it's still the same thing having a monarch it was like the prism effect right like prism is a good deck in monarch it's probably the easiest deck to build with the least amount of tools but uh it was very easy to beat with like another competent pool like specifically like levia and chain um and then bolton could just have some of the craziest craziest pools um you could do very degenerate things but like you you always see this like there's like this knee-jerk reaction where it's like this is overpowered this is the only playable thing um and we usually find after a couple weeks in the format that's just like definitely not it um and i think with this format specifically like you said with old him it does seem like the the skill gap is when to use the ability i've seen the same thing people using it to their detriment like every turn and then people not using it enough and specifically the ice version putting the card on top of the deck denying mm-hmm. the arsenal um and lexi of course is uh, lexi kind of tops them all in complexity um but i think once you once you kind of figure out lexi a bit more the the power level of that deck is is very very high i do actually think old time might be more difficult to build but lexi more difficult to play um just because of the fact that you have just all these interactions we talked about before, like the the ratios of like how much do you want to defend for three, how much do you want to be like on the back foot versus how do you want to pivot turns, like how am I actually going to win the game, like how many cards do I have to dominate, and then if I leave it too long, is a glacial footsteps now like a dead card in my pool, for instance. So there's a lot of things to consider, especially when you're playing into Briar, who um, can really you know put a lot of pressure on you and force you to make decisions on turns that can basically in some instances just decide the game. Uh, whereas you know Briar does uh, just you know has some really nice natural power and if you if you sort of muck up on uh, a hero against Briar you can often give them a bit of like a get out of jail free card as well um, which is is really nice for Briar and and I think um, what what helps in terms of Briar's strength right now as well is that embodiments of earth embodiments of lightning they can just get you out of some tricky spots and allow you to often play off like two or three cards or play off five cards really nicely which is um, which is huge I think uh, a big thing here, um, with just pivoting here a little bit, is it old him or oldheim? Because I, um, I've I've heard both of uh, you know from three of us two two different pronunciations, and we we got to get to the bottom of this. I, I I'm pretty I'm pretty certain it's oldheim based on like mythology, right? Yeah, it's one hundred percent oldheim. I agree. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I see. You okay. decide, Tyler. It's the, old, it's the old tomato tomato, you know. <laughs> You know what? I think you're both right. Since uh, <laughs> I'll just won't pronounce it. You for just the call rest him Aldi. Yeah. 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 Old Hime. He's uh, old employing, Hime. The, employing the fatigue strategy, as the French would say. <laughs> awesome. All right. I just want to talk quickly about you know. Let's just all pick a card. Let's all pick one card that you know we saw either in spoilers or you know living vicariously through friends of the world premiere that we didn't think was very good. And overperform the most. This has to be, you know, the one card that has jumped, you know, the most for you. I know I said the most a lot. Um, so obviously we know Deep Blue is good. Obviously Ball Lightning is very good. That's a very good contender as well. But which card were you kind of sleeping on that has turned out to be way better than you thought? Uh, Tyler, we'll start with you. Ooh, big. Yeah, starting with me, huh? Um, let me think. Let I should have mine ready, Tyler. I'll, I'll go because Brennan's put you on the yeah, spot. Yeah, I'm yeah, fairly yeah, yeah, yeah. there. Uh, <laughs> I think Give mine's. Me a second to think about it. Yeah, I mean, it would be easy to say like Ball Lightning, but I think I, I did think that card was good. It's just, it's better than I thought. But a card that I thought was probably not good at all and it's really surprised me, to be honest, is actually Entangle, which is, uh, you know, the Guardian uh, fuse, Earth Fuse attack that gives minus two to your opponent's next attack. Because of like the mm-hmm. on hit effects and breakpoints in this format, that card is a lot better than I thought it was. The fact that you get to come in with a threat. Uh, 
put you know probably a reasonable earth card and i actually think a lot of the time the earth cards are from old time are the ones that you do feel okay uh putting into arsenal allow you to just have this it's effectively you know like on if it's coming in for six damage or seven damage at red like that's a nine uh point life swing right in terms of the negative two on the attack and if that's on an on hit effect that can be super relevant and really mess up your opponent's turn so i thought that card was probably not going to make my deck too probably almost always making my deck which is a, a bit of a turnaround I've got one as I got mine ready as well. Yeah, you go, Brendan. Then, then we'll then we'll leave we'll leave title. Last. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll go to the last one. I, I got sure. a good one. Okay. So for me, it's actually Invigorate. I actually thought this card was legitimately unplayable. I thought it was terrible because it's an elemental action, doesn't fuse, blocks for two, and it is it is still kind of bad. But if you're playing someone like Briar, um, it's obviously it's, I think it's really good in Lexi too. Make your arrow much bigger. You know, we talked about you know prioritizing pumps, but in Briar. You can play this, plus another non-tech action. I mean, this costs zero, so you can arsenal pretty safely, and then you can fuse, um, ideally fuse your your attack, get the you know the you know the lightning, and set up for the next turn. I, I mean, I still don't think that Invigorate is a fantastic card. I just thought that this card was on the same level as Rejuvenate, which I believe I've been correct with not being very good. So Invigorate is actually playable, in my opinion. I will sometimes actually prioritize putting a red in my deck, especially if I'm playing something like Briar. That's fair. All, All right. right. This big, is, is going to be a semi call. It's going to be a semi call out here. <laughs> but um, I actually do not think Rejuvenate is an F. Uh, I, do I think it's uh, higher than a C? Probably not. But the the opportunity, especially in Briar, to just play this. Um, I mean, you could already play it at instant speed, but play it as one of your non attack actions just as long as you fused. Um, so you don't need like a Vela to set this up was uh super super integral for me and this three life i think actually matters in this uh format when you're when you're just squeaking out life totals this casual gain three life right here uh can be can be the 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 turn do i think it's do i think it's you know up there no i don't but uh i just want to say i don't think this card's an f <laughs> it's serviceable yeah i do i, I would agree i think it is is serviceable and, and briar um I, I still maintain tyler i don't want it in the other deck but but maybe that could be wrong right like the format's still young as well. I think, like you say, the life is clearly more important in this format than a lot of other formats. You've sold me. F plus it is. <laughs> no, I mean, in, uh, in, uh, in Briar Mirrors, or like, you know, against Briar, right, is real. I think where the kind of the argument becomes, you know, relatively compelling, right? Where it's like, you think about like, ah, I got this arcane damage that's ticking me down. Potentially I could gain the three life. Um, and then also if you are, I think that you're totally correct. Like if you are playing Briar, let's say you play this off, you know, you can play it off anything, right? Off your fuse and get that, you know, that lightning or embodiment of lightning tokens, quite, quite good. And the three life is also a payoff. I have played the blue as well to to meet a blue count before it old him. <laughs> I will say that uh, I'm just trying to get you guys up to D minus is all yeah, that's all. I'll tell you what, you can have it because I think one of the, the best things that actually Rejuvenate can do is uh, we just talked about like the narrow window of pivot turns. And if your opponent is lining up like a lethal hit or uh, lining up their big pivot turn based on life thresholds you know maybe to take you to a certain life threshold and then you play out you know you play whatever you're doing on your turn and you end with like rejuvenate uh that's gonna mess up some some plans pretty pretty well so you can actually change the i guess the landscape of what pivot turns might look like or where life thresholds might look like with a card like red rejuvenate so you know what you can uh i'll, I'll give it to tyler definitely <laughs> mm. okay so then in that case i'm gonna ask tyler a closing question here which is Tyler, what is the worst card in the set. If it's not rejuvenate, what is it? Oof. Um, 
It can still be rejuvenated. So. Yeah, it's still rejuvenated. There we go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man, you got yeah, me. I, 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 think, I think so, too. I mean, it's... It definitely speaks to set design where everything is is very very playable yeah. um and even rejuvenate feels reasonable that's that's what's weird it's like if you if you come from watching like magic the gathering um you know set reviews you know there's like very clear like bombs very clear like just this is meant for commander and flesh and blood is really not like that like every card is very contextual and most have a a pretty reasonable use case so um i actually think that i totally agree with you that no card is actually unplayable yeah, I, I got I got to completely agree with that. In in Magic, there's just cards you stay away from that you're told do not do not draft this under any circumstances. Do not put this in your deck, and that is not the case in this. Every single card has at least some place in um, you know, in in, in the in this format. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's such an it's why I think I had someone give me some feedback like, oh, there's a lot of C's in your set review, and I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of cards that are just serviceable and do a job because there's no cards that are truly truly unplayable like. Even if you go back mm -hmm. to older formats, like, you know, like blue, you know, yellow frontline scout, like this card was serviceable. You could get into your deck if you needed to, but there's, there's usually more exciting stuff, but no card is so bad that you just, uh, you just would never, ever say, I won't play that. And Memorial Ground was an F, but if you needed, if you needed win conditions, you needed it, you needed <laughs> like if you're low on win conditions, you could restack your Herald's Tenacity. It's just so contextual. It's, I think that card's a straight F, but uh, I played it before because I just didn't have any win condition. Monarch was a very win condition focused heavy. Sorry, yeah. win condition focused set in my opinion. But yeah, yeah, I digress. Talking too much, but anyway, thank you so much, Tyler, for joining us again. I want to congratulate on your win. Um, I know I gave you a little bit of like, a little bit of a crazy speech on how important it was, but I do truly believe that, and I think that it was you know kind of a monumental achievement. Um, and I'm really excited to see you at the future ones. I'll be, you know, at Dallas with you. That's my hometown. So excited to dig into some limited at the calling. Haven't done that in, you know, quite a few years. So very, very excited. Um, and again, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, thank you for the kind words and uh, putting me putting me on the, you know, <laughs> taking my card and putting me back on the spot saying which card's the, the worst here. I feel like now I'm the one that's called out here. <laughs> anyway, thanks for having me on. Hey, it's always it's always friendly call outs. <laughs> thanks so much, Absolutely. Tyler. Thanks for coming on. And that concludes episode 24 of Arsenal Pass, our first take on the limited Tales of Aria format. Obviously, we're going to have a lot more as we progress through the season. But if you are interested in Classic Instructed, there's going to be some gameplay going up on our YouTube channel within the week. So you know, keep an eye out for that. If you're interested to see the new, new heroes, duke it out. I know I am. Um, so the boomers of Welcome to Wraith, as always, Hayden Dale and Brenda Patrick have figured out how to use the Twitter um the twitter tool so i am at the fitty shade so that's t-h-e-f-i-d-d-u-i-s-h-a-d-e-s -D -D -E again at the fitty shades like that you know very good piece of literature that was released a few years ago and hayden is at at fiendel f-y-e-n underscore dale kind of like Tom fiendel and his last name hayden dale um so check us out in there we love engaging with all of you guys on twitter um it's been great to kind of utilize that medium to talk with our audience Again, final thank you to all of our patrons. Really can't say thank you enough and how much you've influenced the channel and allowed us to kind of step up our game. Um, we do have the Chain Pod going up on the Patreon. And like I said, even if you're not interested in Chain, if you hate the deck, doesn't matter. It's mostly theory-based, and we even go very much in detail to the math. we got spreadsheets. If you're into that stuff, it's all color-coded. Um, it's all good stuff. So check it out. Uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Anyway, hope you guys all enjoy cracking tales of aria packs over these next few weeks and good luck to your polls hopefully you don't open a cold full 
a cold full of dust blade. <laughs> but anyway, until next time, thanks for listening. See you later.